Good morning. Welcome, grace to you and peace from God the Creator and from Jesus Christ, our teacher and redeemer, and from the Holy Spirit who binds us together in Christian worship. I want to welcome everyone to worship this morning, whether you're here in person or with us on Zoom. We are so glad you have chosen to worship with us. We begin our service by lighting the Christ candle. Whenever we do this, we remember Jesus promised in the Gospel of Matthew that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, I would invite you to use the words in the bulletin as a centering prayer to help guide you into this time of space as we listen to the prelude. Let us rise in body or remain upright in spirit as we join together in the call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. The Lord hears the cries of the people. Give thanks to the Lord. The works of the Lord are great. Remember what God has done. Give thanks to the Lord. God has done miracles and the Lord always remembers God's covenant. Give thanks thanks to to the Lord. Lord. Glory and praise is due to the Lord. Let us pray. O God, who knows every need before we can even ask, you provide all our needs and some of our wants. You bless us all. Make us truly thankful and empower us to bless others from the gifts you have given us. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. 
Please join me in hymn 351, All Who Love and Serve Your City. Trusting in God's mercy, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbors. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have sought after things, but we have not sought after you. We have expected generosity, but we have not shown generosity. We have not been gracious or grateful. We have failed to remember all that you have done. Forgive us and fill our hearts with gratitude. Help us to share our gifts and strengthen our legs so that we can run after you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People of God, our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled to God. Let us therefore love one another with gratitude in our hearts and praise on our lips. Amen. Friends, as the Spirit invites us to live as God intends, let us heed the invitation as we share signs of Christ's peace with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Peace be with all of you. And at this time, I would like to invite the young people in the congregation to come forward for the children's sermon. All right. Since it's just you, I'm going to take my mask off. Okay. Good morning. 
all the young people at heart. So this morning I have something that I brought with me. And when I hold it up in the air, you need to freeze like a statue. Now you're a pretty wiggly guy, so telling you to freeze might be a little bit of a challenge. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but every time I hold it up in the air, you're going to freeze, and you're going to stay frozen until it comes down. Okay? Okay. What is this? A statue. It's a statue. That's right. It is a statue. All right? So we're moving. We're wiggling, right? Show. Okay, you've been doing freeze games at home all week. <laughs> Show me your frozen statue. There you go. All right. Do we have any statues at home? No. No? Actually, I can't remember. Do we have any statues at home, Mama? Maybe, maybe some. I don't know. Boy, my brain is not working this morning. Um, have you ever seen any statues in, like, the city or in parks or anything? I don't think so. Oh, yes, you have. Do you remember when we went to Philadelphia, we saw that statue of, that was the love statue, and you stood in front of it? In Philadelphia, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Well, maybe you've seen statues like that, or maybe others of you have seen statues of famous ball players, or an artist, or an author. I once heard about a park with statues of characters from books by Dr. Seuss. And I looked up the statues on the internet, and I think Horton the Elephant from Horton Hears a Who might have been my favorite. And statues are fine unless they become something that we worship other than God. When we do that, the statue becomes an idol that replaces our God. And that's what our Bible lesson is about this morning. So Moses was up on a mountain called Mount Sinai. Now, you might remember that God told Moses to go up on the mountain so that God could give him the Ten Commandments for the people to follow. Now, Moses stayed up on the mountain longer than people thought he should. Show me your frozen, frozen statue. Should have had you stand up and move around. That would have worked better. <laughs> they went to Aaron and they said to him, We want you to create gods who will go before us so that we will know what way to go. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings you're wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took all of the gold that they had given to him and made it into an idol in the shape of a calf. The people were very happy with the idol that had been made for them. Now when Aaron saw how happy the people were, he built an altar for the calf. He said, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord and you are to rise up early and make a sacrifice of burnt offerings before the statue. There we go. When God saw what the people were doing, God became really angry and told Moses that he was going to destroy the people because they weren't faithful. 
But Moses begged God to remember the promise that God had made to Abraham and Isaac and the children of Israel. Moses convinced God and God changed God's mind and didn't do what God said he was going to do. God did not destroy them. So what can we learn from this? Hmm. We sometimes put other things before God's, before God. It might not be a statue made of gold in the shape of a calf, but it could be things like money or sports, even sometimes our friends. Anything we put ahead of our love of God becomes an idol, and that is something that we are called not to do. Can you pray with me? All right. Dear God, let us always remember that you created us all and all that we have. You must always have the first place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, bud. Please join me in the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Let the wisdom of your word rain down on us like manna and feed us, that we may be strengthened to do the work to which we are called, for the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Amen. The epistle lesson this morning is taken from the book of Timothy. Timothy was being mentored by Paul the Apostle, and Paul sent him to Ephesus to counter some false teachings that was there. We're starting, uh, oh, this is on page 199 in the Pew Bible. Starting at verse 12. Thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful and appointed me to the ministry. I was previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man. But I was shown mercy because I did it ignorantly in in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, for whom I am the worst. But I received mercy for, for this reason, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show all patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the eternal, immortal, invisible king, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. From the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. Listen for the word of God. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off your gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from me from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf, and they have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. A word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us rise as we are able for hymn number 372.
where you were 20 years ago when you heard the news. When you saw the images, felt the fear and pain grip our nation and the world. I was a sophomore at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. I had a late class, so I was still in bed when a friend from the room next door came pounding into my room declaring that we were at war. I rubbed the sleep from my eyes, rolled myself in front of the television and remained planted there for much of the day. I remember how it was nearly impossible to make any phone calls that day as all networks were overloaded beyond capacity. I remember how it was the first time social media was used to check in and make sure friends and loved ones in New York and Washington were safe. I remember the hollow feeling of helplessness at being nearly 800 miles from the location of the horror, a helplessness of knowing I was safe, yet feeling unsafe, of wishing I could do something, yet feeling completely paralyzed. I remember trying to pray, but not knowing what words to use. What do you remember? Where were you? Who were you with? What did you feel? Memory and remembrance hold an important place in our faith. There are many themes and threads that weave throughout the history of Scripture, but remembrance might be one of the most powerful. In Exodus 20, when God gives the law in the form of the Ten Commandments at Sinai, God begins by invoking the memory of how the people were led out of slavery. Later on, we are commanded to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, reminding us of God's good work in creation. Deuteronomy 6 speaks about the importance of passing the word of God on to our children so that God's words and actions will be remembered through the generations. Throughout the whole of the prophets, the memory of God's power and love is invoked time and again to attempt to save the people from themselves. And in the Eucharist meal, which we celebrated here just last week, Jesus' instructions are to do this as often as you eat and drink of it in remembrance of me. Our memories can impact us so profoundly days, weeks, years, even decades after an event. The memory of a first love can recreate the butterflies of nervous excitement in our stomachs. The memory of laughter with friends and family can cause us to smile in spite of ourselves. 
The memory of hearing your child's cry for the first time as they are born can bring a tear of joy to the eye. The memory of the death of a loved one or a traumatic event can resurrect pain and heartache we thought had been buried. Memory is powerful. Just this past week, as I was driving home at the end of the day, I was listening to an interview on NPR with Ken Feinberg and Camille Barros, who were selected to administer the 9-11 Victims Family Fund. At the top of the interview, I was completely unprepared as they played audio clips of reporting from that day 20 years ago. And I felt my entire body tense and my gut drop because memory is powerful and it lives in our very bodies. So when we turn to our passage from Exodus 32 this morning, we find ourselves in the midst of some pretty serious forgetting. Now, before we go heaping blame on the Israelites, even appropriate blame, we ought to remember some context. Yes, they have been led out of Egypt, out of slavery, but they are now wandering the desert. They have been promised a land flowing with milk and honey, and they are anxious to get there. At this point, there are probably at least a couple of good Israelite women asking whether or not Moses should be pulling over at the next gas station to ask for directions. (laughs) And to make matters even worse, they've been camped out at the base of this mountain for a while, what seems like forever, so that Moses can go up, chit-chat with God, then come back down to relay the divine message. And while this is a relatively safe place, it's not the most comfortable location. So when we pick up, Moses has been up on the mountain for longer than usual, and rumors are sparking that something awful has happened to their leader. Memory is powerful. Memory is important. But fear is oftentimes more powerful. We find the Israelites full of fear and impatience, and this leads them to their idolatry. This is a difficult text to read, particularly so close to the forging of the covenant between God and the people. The Ten Commandments established a powerful ethical bond between the people and their God and between the members of the community. And the basis for their bond was God's redemption of them from slavery. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Between the dramatic creation of the covenant in chapters 19 through 24 and the breaking of the covenant here in chapter 32, God gives guidelines for the production of the tabernacle, the tent in which God may dwell among them, a powerful promise of presence and protection. There's so much that is exciting and hopeful in these chapters which which makes the events of Exodus 32 surprising as well as terribly, terribly sad. While idolatry is strictly forbidden in the Ten Commandments, 
you shall have no other gods before me. I wonder if God's righteous anger is stoked more by the people's failure to remember God's care and protection for them and their inability to hold fast to that memory. When they ask Aaron to make gods for them, missing from this speech is any mention of God or of the covenant. God's absence grows even more striking in their response to the golden calf. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Thus Moses is dismissed as this Moses, and the people's history and covenant with God is cast aside to make room for a statue. Of course, this isn't a shocking story. At least it shouldn't be. It is a story humanity has repeated time and again. We forget. We sin again. We suffer In the aftermath of the September 11th terrorist attacks, as we move closer to war in Afghanistan, a place we have only just withdrawn from 20 years later, I remember thinking, have we learned nothing from the 20th century? The 20th century was the bloodiest, most violent century in human history. When we turned the page on history entering the 21st century, there was a sense of optimism that perhaps we could grow beyond our own disastrous tendencies. Yet we continue policies that favor an elite, wealthy few and oppress millions. Then we feign shock when the oppressed organize into violence. And things continue to stay the same. There's a saying that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Scripture supports this. Time and again the people commit the sin of failing to remember. And time and again they suffer. What is perhaps even more shocking than the people's failure to remember is God's anger. Given God's own admission of jealousy, perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised at God's anger, but this divine tirade is not for the meek. God refers to the Israelites as those whom Moses brought out from the land of Egypt. This is interesting. Because earlier, God had said, God brought them out of the land of Egypt. God calls them names, stiff-necked people. And worse, God wants to be left alone to wallow in anger and to consume the idolaters. If that is not enough, God seems to bribe Moses to leave God alone. If Moses does so, so, God says, God will make of him a great nation. Anger, tirade, blame, name-calling, destruction, bribery. This is not God at God's best. Shocking. 
The bottom line is that idolatry is a serious offense which will not be ignored by God. However, Moses intercedes on the people's behalf, refusing to simply allow the people to be consumed by God's righteous anger. To be honest, this is Moses at Moses' best. This is one of Moses' most admirable moments. The people have not only rejected God, but also Moses as him, himself as their leader. And I have to confess, were I in his position, I might be tempted to leave them to their own devices and walk off into the sunset with a new promise. But Moses is able to change God's mind. He does so by reminding God that it was God who brought the people out of the land of Egypt, not him. He reminds God of God's power and might. He reminds God of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel to multiply their descendants. Killing the Israelites now would not foster offspring and certainly would give the Egyptians the edge. Moses' threefold imperative, turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, do not bring disaster on your people, is bold but effective. God does change God's mind. And perhaps this is the most critical piece for us to take away this morning. Even when we forget when we turn away, God remains, calling us back to God's arms. Shauna Hannon, Associate Professor of Homiletics at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, notes that on this 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, I wonder who we need to intervene on our behalf. I wonder if in our impatience we have bowed to more tangible, accessible, and shinier gods rather than relying on the one who brought us out of the power of sin, death, and the devil. Yes, I wonder how, I do hope it's how and not if, God quells God's anger at such atrocities. And we don't really have to go back in time so far as 20 years. Nearly every day in the news, we are reminded that as a whole, humanity, we fall short of God's will for us. That's not shocking news anymore. While I do not desire to minimize the depth of our idolatrous tendencies, I do think the more shocking and profoundly hopeful news here is that God sticks with us. God continues to claim us as God's own despite it all. Instead of God's wrath burning hot against us and consuming us, God's beloved Son reminds us there is joy when even one sinner repents. Consider Paul, who in his letter to Timothy, from which we heard a word this morning, he recounts his own conversion. He was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, 
Paul reminds us that he was once Saul. Saul, who sought out early Christ followers to torture and kill them. In fact, he even seems to implore us to remember his past sins, not only to highlight the immeasurable grace of God, but also to witness to how powerful the grace of our Lord is. On this day of profound remembrance, I am also mindful of how important it is to share these stories of our faith. When I was teaching high school English, each year as a new freshman class entered, I would slowly do the math and realize just how young they were. And every year I would despair at how young they all looked and how much older I was feeling. This year's high school seniors, the class of 2022, were on average born three years after 9-11. Elena and I look at both of our children who were born into a post-9-11 world. And we wonder. And we worry. There are so many wonderful things that they will consider to be just a part of the way things are. A woman can run for and become vice president. Illnesses and diseases considered incurable just 50 years ago are now on the verge of being cured. We are learning more and more about our planet and our universe every day. Yet there is also so much pain that they will know of in this world. This seemingly unending pandemic, an increasingly unstable global climate, the continued blight of racism and xenophobia within our nation. As parents, we are committed to teaching them all of these stories. The good and the not so good, the hopeful and the despairing. I will tell them the story of where I was on this day 20 years ago, including the despair I felt, because it's all a part of the story, a bigger story, God's story. And while I teach them, and we all teach our children and grandchildren to hope for the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, we ought also to teach them and ourselves to pray the psalmist's prayer as our own. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and put a new and right spirit within us. Amen. Will you please rise with me as we affirm our faith using the words in the bulletin?
We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives. We trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father. In sovereign love, God created the world good and makes everyone equally in God's image to live as one community. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And at this time, I would like to invite Betty to come forward for our minute for mission. Our hymns this morning have been so spot on with the Presbyterians' emphasis this, this month on peace and reconciliation. From the first verse of three seven, page 37, Oh, for a world where everyone respects each other's ways, where love is lived and all is done with justice and with praise. Throughout this past year, the Mission and Social Witness Ministry Team has concentrated and emphasized hunger. Hunger locally, nationally, and globally, but most, most of the time locally. And we have learned of ways of acting on concrete ways to address and, um, the issues and to be aware of hunger under the subtitle of food insecurity. During this month, our emphasis or my emphasis that I will bring forth is hunger for something else, hunger that the Presbyterian Church USA is emphasizing this month. Hunger for justice. Hunger for peace. Hunger for security. Our hunger for safety. Hunger for health. Not quite as tangible as food insecurity. We see that. We see the results of that. We are experiencing the hunger of all of these others in the news and in our inability sometimes to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. The Peace and Global Witness Offering 
which you have an envelope for, will be dedicated on October 3rd at Worldwide Communion Sunday. 50% of this will go to the National Church to work on peace and rec reconciliation throughout the world. 25% is going to be used by our synods and our presbyteries to support efforts within their regions. Locally, right here at Hamilton Union, 25% stays with us. And our mission and social witness ministry team will decide and discuss where this monies will be given. In 2019, the monies were divided between the Schenectady and Albany City Missions. Last year, the monies were given to the SUNY um, Protestant Campus Ministry. Please read the articles in the newsletter. Please be aware of the inserts in your bulletin. And go on PCUSA slash Peace and Global Witness. There's a tremendous amount of information and ways that the Presbyterian Church is involved and doing peace and reconciliation in the world. Thank you. Next week, I think I will talk about the what um, the Presbyteries, or at least Albany Presbytery, is doing in the area of peace and reconciliation. Thank you so much, Betty. At this time, I'd like to invite Ann Duncan to come forward. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I asked Anne, when are you going to be around on a weekend? Because as many of you know, once you retire, you become an even busier than you ever thought possible. Um, so I knew we needed to nail her down. Um, we wanted you to be here this morning so that we could officially give you a thank you for your years of service to this congregation, to this church. There is something that I have learned in ministry is that I'm nothing. I am no good if I don't have an amazing administrative assistant. And the only reason that I got through these last few months is because of you. Um, and you are a gift. You are a treasure. We are sad to lose you. But so very glad for you that you have gotten to this point for retirement. Uh, and after the service, we will gather outside uh, and just have a little time to to greet you and to thank you, every one of us. Um, but on behalf of the congregation, thank you so much for everything that you have done. Some of you might not know this, but she was still working this morning. As soon as she came in, we were like, Anne, we need help. 
So thank you. We know that we will see you from time to time. Um, but we are just so very grateful for your service. Oh, and while Steve is coming forward, um, I do want to lift up one thing for the um, uh, from the announcements. The last Brooks Barbecue of the year is coming up on September 29th. Um, we need help to make it uh, a smashing success. As always, um, we have uh, slots. Uh, for working, available 2.30 to 6.30. If you have any questions, please reach out to Bruce Williamson. Um, but uh, hopefully we won't run out of ribs quite as quickly this time. Um, but who knows? People love their barbecue. So um, please also take some time to look through the rest of the announcements uh, bulletin just to see what's going on in the life of the church. Disciples of Christ, great is God's mercy toward us. Let us offer a portion of what God has given with humble and grateful hearts. Say we are 
because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. One thing I'd like to mention is that all the storm windows have been replaced in this building. And if you look now, you can see a lot of bright sunshine coming through and a lot of good pictures. They look a lot brighter. Give thanks. Give thanks for that. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, deliver all good gifts. Thank you for the resources gathered here this morning. Use these gifts for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we move into a time of prayer, of remembrance, of comfort, and of hope, uh, I would like to just ask, are there any prayer requests that uh, we have to lift up this morning? Uh, I want to reiterate a prayer of thanksgiving that Peter McKinney is home. Uh, Peter, it is good to see your face. It is good to see your face on uh, Zoom this morning. Uh, Katie Wagner uh, is, she was also, she's still here. Uh, she's still on Zoom. Um, she is in the hospital. Uh, Katie, we hope you are feeling better uh, and that you'll be able to come home very soon as well. <laughs> Other prayer requests lift up. Chandra. Prayers for those who survived in body but not in spirit. Prayers for those who survived in, in body but maybe not in spirit. Prayers for the Mahoney family on behalf of my Aunt Helen. And also prayers for the Weast family, which is my sister in law's brother. So, uh, Diane asks for prayers for uh, her, the Mahoney family on the passing of her aunt, uh, and that's Shirley's sister, correct? Shirley, we, uh, we pray for, for you and your whole family as well. Uh, and uh, My sister-in-law's brother, Peter Weeks, passed away this week as well. For uh, Diane's sister-in-law's uh, husband, Peter. Brother. Brother brother who passed away uh, this past week as well. We had been praying for both of those families, um, and we do lift them up in prayer. Darlene. Prayers for my Faith, who's ill and not feeling good and the Prayers for Carolyn's niece, Kate, who is, who is ill. Um, yeah. Darlene. Um, prayers, please, for the Palmieri family, Charlotte's mom, is, as we all know, um, in hospice care at her assisted living place. Yeah, prayers for Charlotte Palmieri's uh, mother, who is currently in hospice. Uh, prayers for uh, her whole family as well. Others. Atticus. 
prayers for Pop-Pop, for my dad, um, who continues to fight uh, prostate cancer. Um, and we do. We lift him up in prayer every day. Thanks, bud. Friends, as we turn to these prayers of comfort um, and remembrance and hope, um, I would invite you to open your hymn books to page 753. We will be um, singing each verse um, at some point throughout these prayers. And to open, I would like to read this poem by Peter McKinney. Um, uh, copies were available with the bulletin. If you didn't get one, uh, feel free to pick them up. Um, he, uh, he shared this with me, and I, I thought this would be a good way to open our time of prayer. One man's response to September 11th, written on September 12th, 2001. Darkness overwhelms. Destruction reigned from the nether realms. Such mindless violence benumbs. We fathom not from whence it comes. Pure hatred down upon us fell, our world engulfed by fires from hell. Airliners used as tools of war, first one, then two, now three and four. The rescue workers by the score rushed in to go from floor to floor, ignoring risk and hazard great. Many succumbed to deadly fate. Such images beyond our ken from towers tall fell steel and men. Black clouds of doom rolled down the street, glass shattered, crunched neath running feet. Our minds reject reality. This devastation cannot be. How can such inhumanity be real, sent purposely with human zeal? While strong men cry neath smoke-filled sky, around the earth the world asks why. Thousands dead, the rest in dread, result, they say, of men misled. Soon on each porch, each car, each breast, old glory flies to meet the test. The eagle soars o'er hollowed land, while patriots flock to lend a hand. Some dig among the rubble deep, some holding candles, vigils keep. Good works abound and prayers galore to Allah, God, and saints of yore. One nation under God, not riven, with blood and time and toll given, to heal the wounds and build anew neath banners bold, red, white, and blue. Our prayers and dollars that we send will make a difference in the end. But more we know we need to, know, need to do to right our world now so askew. We cannot all be heroes great, but neither can we sit and wait. Each one has talents from above to change our world when used with love. A candle light right where you stand, a neighbor close could use a hand. Your town, a hospital, your church, for talents that you have may search. Let Shine the light on those around, and darkness pales, or so I found. Do something positive right now, this world with justice to endow. 
So let us heed our nation's call to make a difference, one and all. Amidst the strife, assess your life, each brother, sister, husband, wife. God of the years, we call to you this day when the memories of 9-11 weigh so heavily upon our hearts. We recall with horror and renewed shock that day when airplanes flew into buildings and people perished. We remember our fear and anger, our confusion and sense of threat. We remember all that was lost to us that day, our sense of security, our peace, our innocence, our belief that we were safely beyond such random violence and death. Most of all, we remember those who died in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania, their lives of promise extinguished in hatred. Let us light a candle and remember. moments, your loving kindness surrounds us. In those tragic days 20 years ago, our confident faith that you were with us enabled us to go on. We give you thanks for the ways in which you comforted us in those grim days through a deepened sense of community. We trace the movement of your grace through those among us who risked their lives to save others. We are comforted by those who offered kindness and succor and shelter to persons in distress and by those who would not let hatred overcome love. For those whose witness to a deeper wisdom and faith comforted us, we give you thanks. For public officials, neighbors, friends, and strangers who brought us to our troubled lives solace and clarity of purpose, we give thanks. For the calm and reassuring voices of the wise who gave us comfort and strength, we give thanks. Let us light a candle in tribute to those persons. And also those places which gave us comfort. And for the words and deeds that restored us to peace. Make me a channel of your peace. Where there's despair in life, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, only light. And where there's sadness, ever joy. 
O God, you have taught us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We live by hope in the future you hold for us and the whole world. Grant us, we pray, hope for our children and our children's children that they may not know or inflict the horror and terror we recall this day. Bolster our hope when it flags and teach us to strive in all that we do to realize the hope that is in your word and witness. Eternal God, in you our hope is boundless. You renew hope in us through the promise of a future in which none shall be afraid or lift up sword against a neighbor. We pray in hope for the peace of the world among peoples and nations, religions and cultures, until we become a beloved community reconciled to one another under your sovereignty. Let us light a candle and give voice to our hopes for our lives in obedience to God. Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my soul. These candles represent for us the light of our shared memories, the light of comfort and strength, and the light of our hope. In memory, comfort, and hope, God abides now and forever and unto ages and ages. Make me a channel of your peace. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, in giving of ourselves that we receive, and in dying that we're born to eternal Blessed and holy God, as our nation marks 20 years since the attacks of September 11th, we pray for a collective moment of pause. Help us stop what we are doing. Help us set aside the stress and strain of the everyday to honor the lives that were lost, the families devastated, the first responders who ran toward danger to help and save those who survived in body but suffered in spirit. May the memory of this terrible and tragic day make us ever more motivated to work for peace across our world. Help us to build cultural, global, and interfaith bridges, pathways and partnerships of mutual care and understanding. Merciful God, as we remember the pain of this tragic day, fill us with your peace that passes all understanding. 
Fill us with the hope that your kingdom will come and your will be done. God of all time, even as we remember that tragic day, we are mindful that our present world has plenty that calls your attention and care. This morning we pray for health and healing in the midst of our continuing pandemic crisis. Strengthen medical professionals who have spent all of their reserves of endurance. Encourage them when death, death prevails despite their heroic efforts. Grant them courage and confidence in the face of never-ending trials. Show us all signs of your healing grace. Compassionate God, bind up the wounds of the suffering among us. Provide help and hope for families facing eviction. Provide safety and security for refugees and asylum seekers. Provide justice for peoples and nations long oppressed. Provide liberation for the dehumanized as well for those who cooperate with dehumanizing practices. Free us all, holy God, by faith. God of life, the burdens we carry are heavy and the road forward feels dreary and endless. Turn our eyes to where your skies are full of promise. Turn our hearts to your brave love. Fill our souls with moral courage so we can find our purpose and our path in you. United as a family of faith and as the body of Christ, we lift these prayers to you, God our creator, redeemer and sustainer. Finally, hear us pray the prayer Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us rise as we are able for our final hymn.
rest in the knowledge that God always provides. Therefore, give love with a generous heart, for this honors God who is most gracious and loving. Beloved, may God continue to bless and keep you. Go forth in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, remembering who you are and whose you are. Amen. Amen.